0: On today's episode of RISE I Match, we have three very special panelists. We have Dr. Gilbride, Dr. McCarthy, and Dr. Larson. And today they'll be talking about their research, how they got to their position today, and they also share some advice for us students. So please lean in and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Gilbride, Dr. McCarthy, and Dr. Larson.
1: Ryerson, it's going to be uploaded to the Ryerson University um, initiative podcast. And so we will start off with a brief introduction with our panelists. If you guys could just tell us a brief introduction about yourself and your role at Ryerson. um, Dr. Gilbride, we can start with you.
2: So, hi, everybody. Good evening. So about me. So my name is Kim Gilbride. I'm a faculty member in the Department of Chemistry and Biology. Um, I guess I would consider myself a molecular microbiologist. And what else? Currently this year, I'm actually acting. So I've taken up an acting career. So I'm an acting associate dean, faculty of science for undergraduate programs and student affairs. So I have to, yeah, it's acting just to get that whole mouthful out. So
3: that's what I'm doing.
1: Okay, thank you. And Dr. McCarthy, if you wanna just tell us about your role at Ryerson in a brief introduction.
3: Yes, thank you. Um, I'm a professor in the Department of Chemistry and Biology. I'm a Great Lakes ecotoxicologist. My research is almost all about uh, stressors impact in the Great Lakes watershed, although recently um, I just completed a biosolids assessment that actually took biosolids all the way from Halifax to Vancouver. So it became a little bit more uh, national in scope. And uh, I teach first-year biology, ecotox, limnology, and upper years, and I also teach uh, courses in environmental applied science and management graduate program.
1: Okay, thank you so much, and Dr. Larson.
4: I thank, thanks. Um, it's nice, nice to see everyone, and thanks for the invitation. And you know, it's a delight uh, to be here with Dr. McCarthy and Dr. Gilbride. Uh, so nice, n- nice to see you both. Um, I'm an ecosystem systems ecologist. Uh, most of what I do is in aquatic systems, but I do a little bit of terrestrial e- ecosystem ecology as well. Um, I'm interested in understanding things such as greenhouse gas emissions from systems, and and uh, you know like being being in a city. Uh, a lot of the systems we work on are are urbanized and they're impacted by the activities that that we have and. So I'm interested in technologies that might help in terms of improving, you know, uh, restoring some natural function to to some of these very urban-type ecosystems. Um, I'm I'm really interested in in trying to trying to help students understand that even though we are in a city, a city has ecology. Um, it still it still has function, and that function can be improved. Um, and uh, And um, I'm also involved in the uh, Environmental Applied, excuse me, Environmental Applied, and it's late in the day, my God. Um, It's a mouthful. Environmental Applied Science and Management Program. Um, Sadly, trying to get that out, I am the program director. I should be able to spiel that off a little bit more more readily. Um, So I, you know, I I teach, uh, ecology, evolution, I teach first year biology, occasionally biostatistics, um, and a couple of the courses in the graduate program.
0: Okay, thank you so much for sharing. Um, so if you guys want to share how you got to your position today, so maybe start off with high school or your home, your hometown, and any transitions to get to your position as a professor. So Dr. Gail Bright, if you want to go first. Okay. Wow. So hmm, where
2: am I going to start? I'm old. So that's like a lot of years of, of, of information you want. Like, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Montreal. Okay. Did my under my, did my yeah, high school in Montreal. High school finishes after grade 11 in Quebec. So after that, you go to CGEP. So two years of CGEP in Montreal. And then I did my undergrad also in Montreal at Concordia University. And uh, in Quebec, since we do two years of CGEP before we go to university, university degrees are only three years there. So that um, still works out to about the same. And then because, so just like everybody, you know, in high school, you have things you're going to do that you never do. But anyways, I want thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I said, oh, well, then I need to go to the University of Guelph. So during my undergrad, that's what I planned on doing. I planned on, because you needed to have an undergrad degree before you go into veterinary medicine. So that's what I figured I would do. But um, during my last year of my undergrad, I did what you guys do, like a thesis course, an 040 course with a professor doing on, uh, you know, serine diamines, which I don't even know anything about. But I liked the research part of it. So after what I did in the third year, my last year of undergrad, I applied, of course, to Guelph to get into veterinary medicine. But I also applied for NSERC scholarship. So uh, Guelph actually asked me for an interview. So I went all the way to Guelph. Oh, this will be so cool. Anyways, I bombed the interview. I just bombed the interview. So I came home quite upset. But then I ended up with the NSERC scholarship. So I said, well, I'll go and do my master's so i decided i'll do my master's at the university of guelph because i couldn't get into veterinary medicine but i you know figured i so that was my compromise so i went there and did my master's in um sort of well in microbiology but in 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 animal diseases so that was my sort of closeness to veterinary medicine and then i decided after that that i wouldn't veterinary medicine still look good But I decided that I like the research better. So I decided to do a PhD and then I came to Toronto. So I decided to do PhD at University of Toronto, still stayed in microbiology, but then I started learning more about molecular stuff during my PhD. And then when I was almost finished my PhD, someone, another student, so this is where networking comes in. They showed me an advertisement and said, look, Ryerson Polytechnical Institute, because that's what it was called back then, is looking for a faculty member. And I laughed. I said, who wants to be a faculty member? Oh, my goodness. I had no aspirations to actually stay in academia. I sort of liked research. I thought I would just be like a research associate for all my life. So I applied to jobs. But anyways, uh, I applied anyways, because that's, what I always tell students to do, you you just apply to everything, just like I did in my undergrad, I apply to everything because you don't know what's going to happen. They asked me for an interview. So I came. But I said, I was so I had an interview just with the chair of the department, the first one. And, and I'm, as you guys probably know, I'm pretty straightforward. So the first thing I said to him was, why are you asking me for an interview, I see that this job has already closed. It was like, I don't know, 15th of August, and the job on the piece of paper the other student had given me said they're looking for somebody to start July the 1st. (laughs) So he said to me, yeah, yeah, we've already hired for that, but we are looking for part-time people just to do labs like TAs. So I said, oh, that's a good idea. I hadn't quite finished writing my PhD, so I actually came to Ryerson just as a TA and then while I was here another job came another job was posted and I applied and I hadn't got any answers back from all the other places I had applied to so of course I came and I did the interview they offered me the job and uh, I had no money so I could wait for another job but I decided I'd take this one (laughs) so I did and then once I started I I really I started I loved it and uh, I like, well, you guys, I like the students and I liked liked working in the lab with the students. That was always my favorite part, not lectures, but doing the labs. Nowadays, we have so many graduate students that you guys actually do the labs. But when I first started, faculty actually were in all the undergrad labs. So it's changed a lot.
0: So So yeah. You had your PhD while you were a a TA?
2: Uh, My PhD I had at U of T. And just at the end of my University of Toronto... Like I was just waiting to defend. I was looking for jobs and that's when I ended up over here uh, at Ryerson for a semester. Okay. Yeah. And And then then I defended and I was finished over there and then another job came here. So I said, oh, now I have my PhD. So now I can apply for this job. So I did. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, just plugged along and here I am 30 years later, just plugging along.
0: And yeah. Do you know if they still have the NSERC scholarships? I know they have the USRAs.
2: Yes, they still have answer scholarships, yes, 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 for people who are going to do their masters and do their PhDs and Dr. Larson can certainly speak to that too. Yes, and apply for everything, OGS, everything. That's one thing I always say, like apply to everything, you just don't know where the doors are going to open. Mm -hmm. So I know everybody always has a passion, but I had one, but then when I tried something else, I realized, oh, I like that too. So you just sometimes don't know. Mm-hmm. it's always good to try but you know it's better to try and then say you don't like it right you try the brussels sprouts and then you go yeah I really don't like them not a problem you can't say that you don't like them before you try them so
0: and everything happens for a reason too if your friend didn't show you that flyer you I know
2: I think I think it's so yeah I mean this was like we went to I don't know it was like a sock off I don't know whatever it was like a student thing. And, and he went into the hallway and he ripped it off the bulletin board and he brought it to me. And he said, I know you're almost finished. Look at what I found. Perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And It's like what Marie said in the chat. It's a great lesson. That's it's true. Even if your dream company has filled their position, it still pays to apply. Yep. Yep. So you just keep keep
2: things open. Yep. Um. Yeah. And I guess I could have, after I started here, I could have kept applying other places and, and gone back more into the research world. But I don't know it's i like it it's a good job and mm-hmm. i'm sure dr mccarthy and dr larson would agree it's a good job yes so
0: and uh dr mccarthy do you want to say your journey your hometown school yeah
3: uh, dr Gil mine is not as exciting as yours but i spent a uh, part of my childhood in burlington ontario and any of you who have a course with me you'll know that a very progressive grade four teacher took us to the brand new site of the Canada Centre for Inland Waters. And uh, it was just trailers at the time, the building had not been built, but the uh, impact that it made on this eight or nine year old uh, student has never um, passed me. You know, if we teach the children well, it's unbelievable what they'll do uh, later on going forward. Anyway. I spent my entire high school wanting to work at that Canada Centre for Inland Waters. I went to Queens to do my undergrad and there were also scientists there um, who actually also uh, did adjunct work at the Canada Centre for Inland Waters, so it was perfect. I got a summer job at the Canada Centre for Inland Waters and I finished off my BSc from Queens and I was all set to work on the research vessels which I did for many years with my BSc. And then some incredibly wise mentors, scientists at CCIW said, that's fine, but I think you need a higher terminal degree if you want to sit at the adult table and actually have any kind of influence going forward. And that was a real surprise for me. And so I um, started my PhD at the University of Waterloo which at that time was deeply affiliated with Canada Center for Waters. Got my PhD, went back to CCIW to do the postdoc. And this uh, fairly new now, Ryerson uh, Polytechnic Technic University, 1997, had a job application for a prof. And I just, I applied. I was never going to come here, I was never going to be a prof. I was going to stay at Canada Center for Land Waters, my entire time. And uh, in my job interview, they asked what I would like to do if I did come to Ryerson. And I said I wanted to flood the basement of Kerr Hall and start a water center. <laughs> and so, <laughs> under incredibly um, unsophisticated conditions, Dr. Gilbride, you will so agree with me. Um, research was set up. And, you know, and I, and I tell you guys this all the time. I mean, some of the most um, ingenious research that I started with came from my fourth year thesis students. Um, There was no graduate program at that point in time. Um, Environmental applied science and management was just starting to get founded first graduate program at Ryerson. Um, but was not fully up in place. And it was my fourth year thesis students and uh, their work that really got um, necessary research for some of the uh, initial cert Describer grants that I got. And the rest is history. I mean, you know, as Dr. Gilbride said, lecturing with you guys is everything to me. Um, in fact, Drs. and Gilbride and myself have often taught you first year biology altogether. And uh, yeah, and then continuing on research and being innovative and, and bringing the students in to whatever research you're doing, just so incredibly important. So takeaway to students is follow a passion and, and just see where it goes. Do you still keep in contact with the
0: Canada Freeland Centre?
3: Yes. Canada Center for Inland Waters? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yes, absolutely. And, and and in fact, because I do do, I'm a Great Lakes ecotoxicologist. Um, yeah, I'm in contact with them all the time. You could even say half of us even grew up together. So it's nice. uh, like old home week. There we go. That's
0: nice. Okay, thank you. And Dr. Larson, your hometown schooling? Sure,
3: sure.
4: Um, I think my story is a lot less interesting than what you've heard so far. I I, um, I grew up in in a small town in New York. Actually, I grew up almost in a small town of 300 in New York uh, on a dairy farm. And <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I when I went when I went to to university, um, it was I went to a small school in in upstate New York. Um, it was originally an international relations and economics major. That was that was going to be my path, and uh, but I but I'd always I'd always loved biology. Uh, you know that had been one of the possible paths, and, and uh, so I got into you know I got into college and in New York, it's you know there's the liberal arts model where you take a little bit of everything. So no no path is really closed to you until you get well into into your program. And um, you know, I, kind of on a whim, in my in my in my second year, I took a course, and uh, you know, I took a course in biology, and and um, then I took a, a second course. My my only my second course in biology was the first semester of my third year, so I was that late coming to the party. And uh, you know, the guy that I that I was taking this class with was a phycologist. He studied snow algae. And this guy was just so excited to be alive every day. And in class, he would just dance from microscope to microscope and say, "Oh, I can't believe you just saw!" You know, and he describe what we were seeing. And I didn't have an economics professor who danced at all uh, or showed the latest, the, the faintest glimmer of excitement about what they did. And uh, that that hooked me. And uh, you know, so so I ended up as a research assistant with, with him. Um, with one of his colleagues, I ended up going to a summer program at University of Montana and spent, you know, spent a summer doing field work in Montana. And that was the first time that it really occurred to me that A, I need to switch over to the biology major and, and B, that grad school was something that I would even imagine doing. Um, so I had to kind of, you know, hot foot it a little bit to, to be able to graduate in time um and then and then started to think about grad school at the time it was a weird it was a weird period in in the U.S. where it was actually easier to get into a PhD program than a master's program so I ended up going into a direct entry PhD program at at University of Notre Dame um and uh you know that was that was an amazing experience I ended up with (laughs) I ended up with a with a supervisor who uh was there less time than me um (laughs) he ended up moving on so i had to figure out a lot of things on my own i had to i had to fund myself i had to figure out my my research and and do the research with without a supervisor in place really that last year not something i'd recommend to any of you (laughs) um but but at the same time it was a tremendous learning experience and um I can also remember like when I was getting close to the end of my PhD, talking to my dad and he was just asking, so what what do you you want to do when you're all done? And I said, I I don't know. I, you know, there were a few things I was thinking, but the one thing I know I don't want to be as a university professor, that's, you know, that's the one, one, one path I don't want to go down because I don't think I would be in any way good at it. I talking to students scares the hell out of me, right? But then I then I had a chance, um, you know, to to actually teach at a small school when I was doing my postdoc. It was just you know like a small program in in uh, Michigan. Um, I was teaching at a small college in Buffalo when we moved back to Buffalo. I met, by the way, you know, I, I met uh, my my wife at Notre Dame. She's from St. Catharines, and she imported me. So uh, she, that's how I that's how I ended up in Canada. And um, you know, I I, I realized. In those experiences at the colleges, that I actually really loved teaching. You know, weirdly enough, that was that was probably the part of my job that I liked the liked the most, and I still do. Um, so I had an opportunity. There was a job ad for for a, a university called Ryerson. Um, I applied to it. I got an interview. I didn't get the job, um, but fortunately for me, um, there was an there was an opportunity to come on for for a one year contract. I said, yeah, okay, wh- why not? I can commute for, for a year. Um, and now it's 17 years later. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a great job. But, you know, what I would say is, you know, was it, a, was it a really clearly defined, deliberate path? No, there's just tremendous amount of dumb luck along the way. And rediscovering what it is that I want to do, I still find myself some days what, thinking about like, what do I actually want to be when I grow up? I'm not sure that I'm entirely done contemplating, you know, pathways that are that are that are open. So,
1: okay. thank you. Yeah, it's nice to see that like no one really had like you guys haven't really had a clear set path, especially like for us students and our point of view because we're all trying to figure out like what we what we want to do um, after university. You guys touched on uh, in your introduction what you wanted to be as a kid or in your early adult stages, Um, but were you guys good students in like high school and university? Um, Dr. Larson, we can start with you.
4: Yeah, I mean in high school I was, you know, high school I was, I was absolutely a nerd in high school. the thing that was the thing, thing that was great is like in, is is that in high school I was just this dork, right? Um, and then I got into in, into university, and I fit in a little bit better there. Got to uni, got to graduate school, and I was like, I okay, I found my group. <laughs> I found my group of fellow nerds here. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was I was I was a good high good student in high school. In university, I was a pretty good student. Um, you know, I wasn't knocking it out of the park. But I was I was I was a pretty good student in high in university. Okay, thank you.
1: Sure. And Dr. McCarthy.
3: Yeah, yeah. If <laughs> my career path seems a little bit straightforward, it really shouldn't have been. Um, I was I was great in high school. I got down to the task at hand. And I hit Queens, and man, is it a party university. I was away from my parents for the first time. And I crashed and burned my first two years. It was very, very sketchy whether I was going to make it through. And there's no way I was going to tell my father how badly I was doing. So I stuck it out. So for those of you who have um, maybe not all A pluses in your transcripts, here's what's really interesting. When I went to apply to do my PhD, I actually uh, applied at um, U of T and I had an interview with the Dean. Now I had a little bit of work behind me because I had done research at cciw as a technician but i'll always remember this and in fact last year she was retiring i I have not seen her in all this time and i sent her an email but she looked at my transcripts and in her beautiful plummy office at u of t i actually had to leave because i could not watch her reading my transcripts and i went outside and i started crying i thought what am i doing here exposing myself to this dean and when i came back in she sat me down and she said so i guess you partied a wee bit at university and i just stared at her and she said and that's what makes us human and what you then choose to do when you pick yourself up is what is important So I'm actually going to take you on as a probationary PhD student. Now I ended up actually transferring over to Waterloo and she ended up being on my advisory committee, but I ended up finishing off my PhD being nominated for the governor general's gold um, medal. So this whole idea, I mean, you know, I, I keep saying this to you guys, our greatest glory is never in not failing. Our greatest glory is every time we fail, we pick ourselves back up again. And it's brutal and it's awful. And if you're looking at bad transcripts and it's academia or you have parents who are so set on A pluses and you had it all through high school, you need to pick yourself up and move forward. And you also need to find a Dean like this Dean at U of T Pam Stokes, you've got to find those kind mentors who are so human and will see in you these incredible strengths. And then decades later, you need to send them an email (laughs) and just say, you have no idea who I am, but what an impact you made. So, And here I am telling you guys this. I'm going to actually tell her that as well. So there we go. Just keep persisting, Okay. And by the way, the Mars Rover's name is Perseverance. And I think that that's staggering for what we're all going through. So there we go.
1: Yeah, I like the, the uh, when you brought up the concept of like failure, because I was actually listening to this podcast yesterday. And it's not that you win or you lose in life or wherever you're doing right now. It's that you win or you learn. There's not really a losing game. You learn from whatever you fail from and you just have to keep going forward from that and even though failing, failure in the moment might seem like the end of the world it's really not it's just an opportunity for you to grow from that
3: so yeah thank and you, you for sharing and you have to no but you have to actually embrace it otherwise these are just quotes on lovely posters <laughs> I mean you have to meet the people who have been down in the ditch and have pulled themselves up and you just see what they did going forward and then you can never give up hope
1: yeah exactly thank you and Dr. Gilbride, were you a good student throughout high school and university? Um,
2: yes and no. So I got to go all the way back to grade two because <laughs> I think because uh, my grade two teacher, and my parents always told me this, my grade two teacher, you know, when you have, you know, parent teacher night, told my parents that I was slow. <laughs> so I, you know, I had, that was grade two. So, 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 and I think, It's true, I am. I'm slow to get there, but I get there and then I can manage. So when I was in high school, I had actually, I wasn't as slow, thank goodness, but um, I had pretty good marks, though. I didn't do much studying, which is probably typical, but because Quebec has a different system. So when I went to CGEP for those two years, I did fail in my physics course and I didn't do so well in organic chemistry either. So I learned during that period how to study. So when I went to university, since it's a little bit different there, and it's only three years, I actually did okay at university. But it's because I had had already those previous, uh, those previous like bumps in the road. So I think I was, by the time I got to university, pretty well prepared. I mean, I wasn't a straight A, straight a student, but I was a good student. Um, and I did get uh, an NSERC scholarship to do my master's, so I was, yeah, there was four of us that got it, so I'm not sure, I might have been the fourth one of the four, but at least I was there, so yeah, I mean, you learn as you go along, not everything is smooth, and, and not, and, and many people are bright, and it doesn't show in their marks, because there's many things you can be very smart about, it's not all about you know, mark, It's not all about marks for sure. And if you decide to do research, definitely not all about marks because there's a lot other things in research besides just the, the academic part of it. It's the organization part of it and the imagination part of it and coming up with ideas. So yeah, I was you know I was a good student, but I wasn't like top top. And so I managed to just like just like, yeah. I think a couple of years ago we had a survey in the faculty, and we asked all the profs. Whether they had ever failed a course, and I think something like sixty percent of us had <laughs> failed a course at one point. So, yeah, I wish I could find all that data again, but I don't know where it is. But yeah, it was interesting how many of us actually, you know, didn't do well in one one course at one point of time. And you learn, right? You, like Dr. McCarthy says, you learn from your mistakes. You learn more from your mistakes than you do from a success. So, you know, I just made sure I didn't go into physics, right? Because I don't I appreciate physics now, but, you know, besides <laughs> to go into biology. <laughs> uh,
1: I think
0: a lot of us are afraid to make mistakes. So we'll choose not to do something because we don't want to fail at it. So some people will choose not to take that physics course because they don't want to fail. But I think sometimes it's important even just to like ground yourself and to realize that you are human and and you'll make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes and you just learn from them, like we said. So...
2: And well, you know, you know how much physics, you know, when I do molecular biology now and we do gels, all, I always remember physics because the longer the gel is, the slower it's going to run because the distance between, yeah, yeah, all the physics comes back. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't yeah, I'm trying to think of that. So, yeah, I can't think of physics right now. It's too late. <laughs> um, I think there was a question in the chat uh, for Dr. McCarthy. Someone asked if you have a mentor. I don't know if you all want to answer that. If you all have a mentor in your life, Dr. McCarthy. I don't know if she's frozen. Oh
3: no. Actually, actually, thanks, thanks for that question. I have a ton of mentors. There are so many people I, I just look up to. I mean, it, it, you know, competent and compassionate and and people who so want to help society move forward progressively. I, yeah, I've got a ton. Just mention three there.
0: Thank you. And so I'm curious about this myself. Um, So what do you spend most of your time doing at Ryerson? So I don't know if it changed because of COVID now, but as a professor, do you spend most of your time lecturing or, or with your research? So maybe Dr. Larson, you can go first.
4: Okay. I, I, I try to figure out at the end of a week where the time went is, is mostly, uh, mostly the reality for me. Um, tremendous amount of time in meetings, tremendous amount of time doing, doing administrative things. Um, you know it's 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 kind of weird because the obvious thing i think for for students is well professors teach that's 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 a small part and actually it's the most delightful part of our job you know that's that's the part i actually look forward to the most um but but it's probably you know during 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 the course of a semester that probably occupies maybe a quarter of my time um uh y- Working with grad students is 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 maybe another quarter of the time, and that's also wonderful. You know, getting a chance to actually spend some time with them in the lab, um, looking looking over what they've done, trying to give them a, a little guidance. Actually, getting into the lab myself from time to time has been is is, is wonderful. Um, doesn't happen nearly um, is uh, enough, I think all three of us you know you may have alluded to it's it was the research that really brought us down this down this road and uh then you get into a faculty position and you don't get into the lab as much as you really would love to to, to be um i i'd say i'd say a lot of my time probably a good quarter of my time is is untangling problems <laughs> um and and uh and and then and then, uh, geez, where, what else is what else is left? Um, but I, you know, I look at I look at a calendar calendar on any given day, and I'd say probably a good fifty percent of my time is in a meeting, <laughs> of some of some form,
1: like like faculty meetings
4: and well, faculty meetings, uh, graduate school meetings, um, meetings, meet yeah, <laughs> just. <laughs> Uh, man i really selling you on the job aren't i right there uh, but but that but that is that is the reality you know like any given any any given week at the start of the week oh it looks clear this day's clear no something will inevitably come up that's you know a meeting you end up getting called in called into and um that's yeah. that's a lot of that's a lot of the time
1: yeah i assume um dr mccarthy and dr gilbride probably spend the same amount of time as Dr. Larson, as like what he said. Um, do you guys have anything to add like for where your time oh, goes during the day?
2: I spend too much time reading and answering emails. A lot of time, like like half of my day is probably answering emails, all different kinds of emails. So there could be research emails, admin re- emails, untangling problem emails. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah like a lot of emails and then once I finish all of that then I got to start my real work which is you know whether it's me yeah well assist uh, being a uh, acting associate dean of yeah I definitely have a lot of meetings way too many meetings um and then yeah then I find sometimes that, that's that's the, the like Dr. Larson said we all got in it for research But then sometimes I feel like I don't have enough time in the day to do the research. So it kind of gets pushed sometimes. It depends on what you're doing. Um, Every week is different. That's the fun part of the job. Okay, so we're busy all the time. We have no time to think. But it's a different busy every week. So that's kind of cool. And I think, uh, you know, you're doing, yeah, every week you're doing, you're doing the same thing, but not the same thing. So it's, you know, like, it's like you guys, like you're taking a class, but you're not learning the same lesson every week. You're learning a new lesson every week. And then the next year you're taking new courses, you're still in school and you're still taking courses, but it's new courses. So it's always changing a little bit and it's always enough to keep you like on the edge of your seat going, okay, what are we learning now? What do we see now? What's, what's happening now? So yeah, it's, it's super busy and I sit too much. That that's one that's one thing I have to complain about. I just sit too much. I have to get I don't know, a stand up computer or something. But mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah, I can yeah. agree. I sit too much too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you, guys, I don't know. do you guys spend like a lot of time preparing to lecture or like preparing your slides or anything like that?
2: If it's a new course, way too much time. Like, I don't know. I don't know about Dr. Larson and Dr. McCarthy, but for every hour of slides probably I don't know three to 10 hours depending on if you know the subject wow. or you don't know the subject like and I mean not for every slide but let's say for every every one yeah. hour one hour slot of of course it may take you up to yeah it depends on what you want to do
1: yeah can take a McCarthy did you have anything to add for how you spend your time
3: yeah I I, I think if you're in biology it's just There's something new every day, whether it's in medical biology, whether it's in environmental biology. And so if you're teaching even first year biology, there's something new to bring to the lectures. I mean, I wish it was a bit more static. So yeah, tremendous amount of prep, even for courses I've taught over and over again. Maybe it says that biology is really, truly exciting, I, I you know, but uh, yeah, there's always prep. There's there's never lectures that you can just pull out from the year before and go, oh, yeah, there we go. I'm just going to present that. No way it's too much stuff happening that you have to impart to the students, I think.
0: So through all these meetings and emails what inspires you the most to teach? Maybe Dr. Larson, you can go first.
4: Oh, okay. You know, without, without, without making this sounding like I'm pandering, things like this, things, things where, you know, over this past year, what I've, what I've missed, what's been really hard for, for me. And I think for, for most of us is we miss you. <laughs> we miss actually seeing and and talking to students, and it is not, and you know, it's it's not the same when you're trying to do a lecture by by way of Zoom. Um, you know, you many many of you are actually in evolution right now. You know, it's not it's not the same opportunity to talk and and to to interact. And you know, there was a question here. You know, what if I've ever doubted myself? What what kept me going? It is actually the interactions with students. That's a that's a big part of it. And the interactions with with my colleagues, including these two. Um, you know, these there was there was a time when I was seriously thinking about about leaving. And um, man, uh, you know, like the the question of mentorship. Dr. McCarthy and Dr. Gilbright are incredible mentors and, and have been since I've been here. And you know, they're they're kind of a big part of why I'm still why I'm still at Ryerson um so so these are you know it's it, it's the interactions that that uh that really make the job so worthwhile
0: i completely agree steph and i this course wasn't going to run this year because it was previously run by brian so we we're going to miss out on this on these interactions and these stories so this is what made us last semester with brian that's this is what made us want to go to school and want to go to class because of this interaction, this extra stuff outside of school that that we enjoyed the most. And uh, Dr. Gilbride, I
2: forget what the question was. What <laughs>
0: inspires you the
2: most? What inspires me the most? Oh, um, i, I what I teach. I mean, I I always have in the back of my head. The goal is for everybody in the class to get it. like why don't you get it? I have to explain it to you again. I want to be excited about it and I just it expire it is it, so nice when, yeah, maybe that maybe it's only one student who says, you know, I really understood it today. Maybe the other 99 didn't, but I'm, as long as they don't tell me and only the one student tells me they did it, then I go, okay, that's good. At least one one person understood it. I like to try to make it exciting or like interesting you know, I don't know whether I, am always successful because there's some, some parts of every course that are a little dry, but you know, I'm always, yeah, my goal is always to, you know, hopefully somebody, like not, I'm hoping that nobody's falling asleep while I'm teaching. I mean, that's my goal is like, everybody's excited. At the end of the lecture, they go away have learned like one thing. I, I don't care what it is. One thing. Then I feel like I've done my job and, uh, Yeah, I mean, I've been told by students I'm kind of hard, hard marker, hard, hard test giver sometimes, but that's because I want to push you a little bit, because other people have pushed me a little bit as I've gone along and I always find that that made me a bit better. Mm -hmm. So I I like to push you because I, I want you to try like I want you to, to work at it a little bit hoping that you'll remember it better so yeah there's always like the good and the bad I mean I know I know yeah. some of you don't like it but I feel like that's my job to challenge you my job is not just to sit there and you know describe something for the sake of describing it it's there to sort of motivate yeah. you
1: no I took I took your me and Julia took your course last semester and I honestly learned a lot from it um and like after the first test when I did realize the marking was kind of hard it, you're you're right like it didn't make me want to like sit down and study for the exam even harder. Um, and even in t- like in COVID times, the way lectures are, like I took I took all of your classes before, like in these times. Um, and like, I love the way the classes are being run. Like it, it really depends on how the classes run now, um, like with regards to how much we're gonna learn. So I think all three of you guys did like a really, like in my opinion, I'm sure a lot of other people agree. I think you guys all did like a really great job at helping us like gain knowledge, even like during these times. Um, And Dr. McCarthy, what inspires you the most?
3: Oh, yeah, just a million things. But I was actually just thinking as I was listening to Drs. Gilbride and Larson, it's walking in to you guys first year biology. You're 17 years old. It's September 8th and you're terrified, but of course, You put on this facade of being oh so bored. And so you're chatting with your friends in the lecture hall. And this prof is there waiting to begin. If I can get that look of boredom off your face in nine nanoseconds, I've got you. And that's what's inspired me. And after 22 years, that has never, ever ceased to amaze me. Now, I think because within nine nanoseconds, you're looking at me going, oh, wow, we do not know what she's going to say next. But nonetheless, what happens is that I see in you all those fears, first year biology, first year university. And if I can see something happen in your face where you go, okay, yeah, this is where I need to be. And to find profs who are going to care for you and talk to you. That's what inspires me. Mm -hmm.
0: I remember I was so scared first year, just in general. So I'm surprised there are people who like are acting cool and like they, they're not listening. I was like the keener at the front of the class, taking every note because I, I, everyone told me that university would be not like high school. Your marks are going to drop 30%. So do you find that more people are, are more
3: not listening? Well, Well, Julia, and I do speak for Dr. Larson and Dr. Gilbride, we know who the keeners are in first-year biology. You're sitting in the front. You're not who we need to worry about. We look up in that lecture hall and we see the really cool people who were like that in high school as well. And that's who you want to reach up and grab and just say, just give me nine nanoseconds. Mm -hmm. I can pull you in to this lecture. So yeah, Julia, we were never worried about students like you.
0: I wasn't part of the school squad.
2: But but from the other point of view, I don't know if this is true of Dr. McCarthy and Dr. Larson. But when I go to the class for the first time, and each semester, I'm as nervous as you are, I'm so nervous to meet the class. Like it's like, Oh, my God, I'm gonna start like, Oh, oh, So, you know, you guys are nervous to see who the prof's gonna be. I'm nervous too, I have not met the class before. And you would think after teaching for so long, that would go away, but for me, it never goes away. Every semester I have butterflies in my stomach before I go to meet my class for the first time. And sometimes even during the semester, if I'm going to do a lecture on something I'm not as familiar about, (laughs) then I really worry that I won't remember exactly what I've read and what I've written and I will say it wrong and someone in the class will say, but Dr. Gilbride, I read in this page that it was blah, 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 blah. And I go, oh, <laughs> can't say, oh, I just, I, I messed it up. So I'm, I'm always, yeah, I've always got a little bit of nerves too. Like now other, other, other things I know really well, it doesn't bother me, but first time of the year and if I'm gonna teach something that I'm not 100% familiar with like it's not in my area but it's part of the course <laughs> and I go oh I hope I do this all right
0: we don't know that the profs are nervous as well we just we th- were just thinking about ourselves we think you guys are cool and collected but yeah guys- yeah, yeah
2: they say oh you don't look nervous yeah but you, you don't know what's inside my head you don't know you don't know what's inside my
0: stomach <laughs> <laughs> okay anyways um so What do you believe are the most transferable skills that every student should have? So maybe Dr. Larson, you can go first.
4: I think, well, okay. I think quality, I'm gonna start with quality first um, before I go with skills. Um, I think the most important quality that that you can have is curiosity that's that's the the most important thing in terms of in terms of being able to to engage, you know, is 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 a curiosity. As far as as far as skill sets, um, this is going to be maybe sound weird coming from somebody in biology, Um, I'd probably go with math, you know, the, you know, competence in competence in in math, because, you know, what I find is that the students who are competent in math are also good problem solvers you know because they're they're good at just kind of understanding how things relate to one another um and 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 the other thing i'll say about that is that although i am a biologist i spend more time actually doing chemistry mathematical modeling statistical calculations contemplating water physics um, and, and, and less time actually, you know, and all of how they relate to biology, but less time actually doing biology. So I, I'd say, you know, um, embrace the things you're uncomfortable with, including I know for a lot of students that is, that is math skills that you feel uncomfortable with. Um, you know, em- embrace yourself, push yourself in those because, you know, really all, you know, those, those skills are, are problem solving skills at their, at their root mm-hmm. no, I
0: agree. And Dr. Gilbride? Transferable skills that you think- Transferable skills. I would say the, the most trans-
2: well for me, I think is when you know yourself, what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. So basically, um, you need to be like, okay, one really good one transfer, transferability is like being organized. So it's got nothing to do with biology or chemistry or whatever, but you still have to be organized. And you need to know, like, when should I study for biology? When I did, When do I need to study for chemistry? Organization is a great skill. Um, I think it's very analytical, like math, actually, Dr. Larson, so it's it's sort of the same thing, you know, like, you know how to, 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 you know, put a Gantt chart together, and you know, sort of how you're going to go from one spot to the other spot, not to say that things don't happen that you have to move things around, but you do need to be a bit organized and, uh, and communication. So whether that's written or oral, I mean, the best part that you probably get from an undergrad is the networking, like something like tonight, the networking you do with your peers, because from years and years and years from now, you still uh, may need to email, like Dr. La- like Dr. McCarthy did to an old mentor, you need maybe to email one of these me- these peers and ask them something that you're not familiar with, but you know that they're good at. So that networking part of an undergrad degree is almost as important as the academic part. So knowing how to organize yourself and then knowing, you know, networking and keeping in contact with people because you you can't really learn if you're an island, if you're just all by yourself, you really need to have all that. Yeah. The networking
0: part. And uh, a lot of people are willing to help too. That's something that sometimes you're scared to ask someone for help, but like, I even, I asked Brian sometimes some like MCAT questions and he's always willing to help because like, even though he's so busy, just, just having that connection with him really helped me. That's just like one person. So imagine just networking with so many other people. It could really- well, that, That's why I said, you need to know what
2: you're good at and what you're not good at. So this is where, when you know you're not really good at something, you know, this is the time I need to network. I need to network and I need to ask because I'm not gonna learn if I don't ask. and you have to be not so shy to do that which sometimes is really hard but but take a friend and then you can go ask (laughs) if you're you're a little bit shy that helps of course it's hard virtually to do that but um
0: yeah email that's like i'm not shy over email i I can be more confident rather than face-to-face so i think that actually kind of sometimes it helps with this virtual.
2: yeah i know because i'm I'm amazingly. I am a shy person and I was always very shy and I think I would have done even more in my life up to this point if I hadn't been so shy way, way, way back when. So yeah, I do think that, um, you know, it's important to, you can still be shy, but important to know when to ask a question and to be brave enough to do that because yeah. it's a good way of learning.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree. And Dr. McCarthy? transferable
3: skills that you think students should have? Yeah, I'm I did a blog with Brian back in June, you know, when we knew COVID would be over in two months and he could put this blog out to you guys in on campus lectures. Yeah, right. Um, And in fact, Dr. Larson, I absolutely said the most important transferable skill was curiosity and the uh, tangible skill that everyone should have competency in is math. And if you follow any of Jump, Math, Prof, anyone can have that competency. And when you have competency in math, you have all the confidence in the world. It's the confidence that competency in math instills in you. So that's really, really funny, Dr. Larson. And then Dr. Bride, I go right back onto the networking that you brought up. And I thought, yep, that is so important. And then I actually... I went even further with regards to the networking. And I thought, you know, something, get yourself out and join a conservation authority. Go on a weekend and help them pick up rubbish along the riverbanks and meet like minded people. You know, become a citizen scientist. You know, do something that might not require um, massive skill on your part just some passion and it's unbelievable that people that you meet in these you know conservation weekend conservation authorities I mean you'll meet CEOs of corporations or Bay Street lawyers who don't want you to know that's what they're doing you know as they're helping uh the environment so so that's just something to think about as well.
1: And yeah, no, I completely agree I didn't I didn't like technically enjoy university until I joined RySai match in my second year. And so that's why like Julie and I, when, when Brian said like he wasn't going to run it, I was like, we have to do something. I was like, I need, especially now like the fact that I'm like stuck in my room or my basement all day. Like I needed something to just get my head out of the books. basically. Um, and so the last question we're going to ask tonight before we do breakout rooms is what piece of advice would you give to your second year self? Now that you're in the position you are now. So, Dr. Larson, I see you're laughing. Do you want to answer
4: it? Yeah, I mean, I, I to be blunt, sober up. Um, <laughs> second year, second year was, uh, second year was brutal, and I, I, see it play out not just for me, but I see it play out um, at Ryerson too. I think uh, so many of us, so many of us, come in with the idea of what we're going to be, and after the first year, we realize that's not really what we want to do. Um, when I talked to, when I talked to first year students, so many of them are thinking about the obvious careers in, in medicine, pharmacy, and by second year, that's not what they're going to be doing. And that leaves them in this funk of just what, what am I going to be? Um, what am I going to do? And the second year takes a huge emotional toll. It took a huge emotional toll on me. I think what i would say is like when you run into those when you run into those periods and and second year and third year to a lesser degree are the real pit armpit of uh, of university i think is when you're in in this place of self-doubt it's easy to it's it's easy to get off track and to become somewhat self-destructive um and i think it i think what my message to you is it's okay not to know it's okay not to have your it's okay when plan a falls apart right um just keep your eyes open keep your mind open to to what might come along and 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 follow it where it leads you okay and it's not failure. Uh, it's, you know, to, for, for, for something to, to not work out the way you envisioned when you were 17 years old is the norm (laughs) and, and that's okay. And I guess I would have like slapped the 18 year old me and just said, you know, straighten up, you're going to be fine. Figure out what you want to do. Okay. But you don't have to figure it out today. Thank you. Sure.
1: And Dr. McCarthy, what piece of advice would you give to your second year self?
3: I wish I knew that I didn't have to live up to every one of my parents' expectations, which I actually failed at every single one of those expectations. My father wanted me, a physicist, wanted me to be a physicist. So, you know, at some point saying to your second year university self, you know, parental expectations or who, whoever are the key adults in your life is fine. But at some point, don't let it smother you. You know, I I wish I'd known how much longer we were going to live, how much longer I had to actually make decisions, decades, in fact. Um, I think an actuarial scientist just said that you guys are going to live to 110. And there is even the thought that the, you know, biological window of having children is going to be extended. You know because of health and nutrition so i wish i'd known that i didn't have to have it all figured out by 25 years old or at the latest by 29 no way could you hit 30 and not have it so defined that track so yeah that's what i would was it to my second year yourself i was gonna say yeah okay yeah. and and again there's so much pressure on you have a career that's so fulfilling immediately oh and find a significant other that you're going to spend the rest of your life with immediately and maybe even have a new nuclear family immediately and you know those pressures back then were were absolutely drowning they haven't changed those expectations and we've just got to move way past that if you know what you want to do when you grow up when you hit 35 well done
1: yeah i feel like like a lot of people like in their 20s and 30s are in a rush to figure out what they want to do um but yeah i think you brought up a great point thank you um and dr gilbride what piece of advice would you give to your second year self
2: i don't know probably wouldn't have mattered i was totally oblivious in second year i just like um Didn't have any really parental pressure. Um, They just, as long as I went to school and I did something, they didn't really care what the marks were. And I didn't have any pressure on myself because I thought I was going to be a veterinarian at the end of it. So I didn't really worry about what I was going to do. Yeah, I was totally oblivious, I think, in second year. I was just, I was having fun and doing all right. Had lots of friends. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't don't know what I would say to myself because I don't think I would have listened anyway. So it wouldn't have mattered. I just thought it was, everything was just hunky-dory, I think, when I was in second year. So that's just like, okay, whatever. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, some of us are just like that. (laughs) So Probably, though, to be serious, probably I should have studied a little bit harder. I was a little bit, maybe a little oblivious on that, too. I just, you know, I studied just to get, like, good marks. But if I had applied myself, I probably could have got great marks. (laughs) So (laughs) I was happy with the good ones. Yeah, 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 you
1: know, (laughs) so. (laughs) you're still successful, so. (laughs) I don't know,
2: sometimes I, I, that's why I worry about you guys. Like when I look at you guys and I see that you're stressed, I don't, I I just wish you would get less stressed. Like enjoy, like enjoy. (laughs) If I could, I'd give you a little bit of my, like laissez faire because you're only young once. And you need to have fun like uh, and and I think the world is nowadays puts a little bit too much pressure on you guys to to make too many decisions early. Like you're still young, you know, drink a little like Dr. Larson and Dr. McCartney. (laughs) A little, just a little. (laughs) And uh, yeah, have a little fun and. Yeah, if you only get a B, so what? B's not that bad, you know. Like, you know, it's not going to make or break things in the end. If you get a B and you had a good time, it's better than having an A and having a horrible time mm-hmm. getting the A.
1: Yeah. Right? As- like,
2: yeah. So I I would say <laughs> I would say yeah. So I don't know what I would say to myself, but yeah. <laughs> I managed to get through it, so yeah. But I need all of you guys to
0: be less stressed. <laughs>
1: We will definitely try to be less stressed. <laughs> okay, um, so thank you to our panelists. We're going to open breakout rooms now. So I'm just going to open the room. So I don't know if you guys got the, to the panelists, if you guys got a message at the bottom of your screen to join a breakout room. And you should get to choose one. So you should just choose like your own name to go to that breakout room. Oh, not yet. I don't see. I can assign you. Yeah, I can assign you. I'll assign Dr.
0: Gilbride. Um, it's the hardest part of everything i know (laughs) let me end the recording oh there we go